This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about being available, open to new experiences, free, unoccupied, and ready. I've been thinking about being known, security, and predictability, and I've been thinking about personal responsibility, sex, identity, expectations, and exploration. My guest today is Laura Friedman-Williams. She is the author of Available, a new memoir of sex and dating after a 27-year marriage ends. At 46, Laura found her husband was having an affair. The life she knew came to a screeching halt, and the path forward she chose was to start dating and having sex with wild abandon, and in doing so, awaken a part of herself that she'd never known or knew she'd wanted. Welcome, Laura, and thank you so much for joining us on That Got Me Thinking. Thank you so much. I love that intro. So first off, congratulations on your new book. That just in itself, no matter what the circumstance, is a huge feat and a wild ride, Get writing a book and then getting it published. Yeah. So I hope you're having Thank some you. fun with it. I know in these times it can be especially challenging. I am definitely both. It is fun and it is challenging. <laughs> I would say that those are the two words I would use to describe it. Um, even having worked in book publishing for a decade before I stopped working, to become a stay-at-home mom, I don't think I understood what it felt like to be the author of the book that is out there. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a like a, when a doctor gets ill, but better, where you're you're actually like, right. oh, wow, <laughs> this is what it feels like when I send the rejection, <laughs> I get the rejection, or this That's is what it feels exactly like when right. I get the acceptance letter, and yeah, and when they right, rewrite right. my intro, or that's great. Yes, or when you're waiting for the publicist to call, you know, it's yeah. like, now I get it, I get it, I get what it feels like to be on the other side of that yeah. phone. Yeah. So you blew my mind in pretty much the first paragraph of the book when you said um, that we would not be married forever had not so much as crossed my mind, nor had I ever had a fleeting concern that he would have had an affair. Um, so I definitely was like, oh, wow, not a thought in 27 years that this is in any way vulnerable and we're not going to grow old together and, and maybe he's not the one or none of that for you? No, I really, I think that in some ways, um, I was very naive. Well, I think in a lot of ways, I was very naive. um, In that I felt very insulated from those kinds of things happening to me. Like I didn't, I didn't think that that sort of life trajectory of your husband having an affair, your husband not wanting to be with you, would ever have happened in my own home. I met my husband when I was so young. Um, we were, we were 20, actually, we were even younger when we first met, we were friends and we started dating when we were 20 years old and we were in college and then we stayed together. There was never time when we weren't together after that. We moved in together right after college ended. And one of the hallmarks of our relationship for me was that he totally adored me. I felt really loved and just very special in his eyes. Um, and so I never would have occurred to me, honestly, I thought he was very happy with me and the life that we had built and that he was very much in love with me. And I'm, I'm not even sure what I felt on the reverse side of that, which is something I had to come to terms with, you know, in the breakup of my marriage. Well, did I adore him? Did I treat him like he was special? I'm not sure. Mm. Um, but I felt it very strongly. And so it never occurred to me that there would be anybody walking. It was never going to be me. 
I wanted a stable family more than anything. I wanted the traditional family and I felt I had it. I felt we had a really nice life together and we built a really great life and family. So it was never going to be me. And it never, truly never even occurred to me it might be him. And it's tricky, right? Because it's like, where's the focus? And, and if you are content or contented, right, in the situation, there's not a reason to be looking or wondering or questioning, um, especially if there aren't any uh, events or circumstances or communications that are um, diverting your attention otherwise. Yeah, completely. And that is one thing that I've become so interesting to me to hear other women's stories um, and to know how they left. Like I, I've talked to women who decided at some point that their marriages, they just weren't feeling really fulfilled anymore. And so they wanted to do something different and they left their husbands or they, they decided that the marriage was over. And that astonishes me because I would never would have done it. I know I wouldn't have. It, it was not, I thought we would be married forever. I wanted to be married forever. And yes, yeah, so it sounds like, like that was the primary goal, right? That you had, you had got a great partner and the primary goal was the, to be married forever. So like almost all the other stuff at that point didn't matter. Okay, we're on this trajectory. This is the goal and, and we're headed there and we've made a good life for all of us. Um, and yet, like throughout the book, you mention, you know, these sort of undercurrents that maybe in hindsight, you're looking back. Were you feeling those during the marriage? Or were you not even noticing or not realizing what they were because you were so focused on other things? And you, you are such a busy person and an active person. And so you were in, in movement. I think that's exactly what it was. Yes, you hit the nail on the head because I wasn't thinking about those things. I was, I think I suppressed a lot. I think one thing I've noticed about myself just in the past three years since I've been single is that I am very good at compartmentalizing. I don't actually think that's a great thing, so I'm not complimenting myself in any way. I think it depends what the task is. I think sometimes that might be really good if you're stuck in Apollo 13. Was it Apollo 13? (laughs) Or when, you know, you compartmentalizing is probably a pretty darn good skill. Yes, I think that there are moments of crisis where compartmentalizing is really great to get you through. I don't think compartmentalizing on a daily basis is maybe the best coping mechanism. And I would say that that's what I was doing. I was... um, you know, able to say, like, there were a lot of things that were wrong with my marriage that I didn't see when I was married. So I think that there were a lot of moments now when I look back and think, oh, my God, we were, you know, I felt so ill at ease a lot of the time because I felt so unsettled. He and I were yeah. we had such different, I, we had the same values in the sense of, like, really wanting to raise our children with love and stability, um, and, you know, the, the core values. But in terms of, like, he, he's a much more sort of go-getter of a person and wanted to experience all these new and different things that I just had no interest in. And I had really become quite a homebody over the years. I didn't like letting anybody take care of my children. So I really very rarely went out unless I um, had to. And I would, you know, a lot of times demure, like he would invite me to something. And I'd be like, no, no, it's, I'd rather just stay home with the kids. You know, you go on your own. Like if, if it was pers- social, I would go with him. But if it was a work event um, where he wanted me to come, I'd probably not go. I had really grown to just, you know, wanting to be like in my family fold all the time. So I think that there were a lot of moments that I just wasn't piecing together. There might have been moments where I thought, God, this is so frustrating that he doesn't pay attention to me enough. Like he doesn't listen to me when I talk. He's not really listening to me. Or It's so frustrating that I'm not getting the partnership that I need at home, you know, that I'm really pulling 
my weight here as the mom of the house and running everything. And he's not helping me at all. Even when I asked for help, that was frustrating. I noted that they were frustrating. It wasn't like I was coasting through my life in this sort of beatific way, like, oh, everything is so great. I was very frustrated and angry with him a lot of the time. It just didn't accumulate to anything for me, except for, you know, frustration that we might feel that seemed totally normal to me. It didn't, it would never have indicated to me that I would want something else. Yeah, and I do like your expectation of what marriage is or what the partnership's going to be or what the goal is um, or what the higher purpose is. You know, that all plays a part into your ability to kind of, as you said, compartmentalize and maybe not um, stop and say, you know, what, what, what is this? about is there something else is there something different should it be more what's he experiencing and it, and if you're not having an ongoing communication um you know and he's not sharing hey i'm i'm feeling later all the things he felt um unwanted yeah. and and disconnected and and not loved or whatever it was um you know it's hard yeah and i think what you just what you just said is 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 scary um uh all-knowing in a way, this idea of what is your expectation of marriage? Well, I think that my expectation of marriage was that you get settled in and you're, you know, you're like, your spouse just kind of annoys you and like, you know, you love each other and you know that you would do anything for each other and support each other through illness or, you know, financial hardships, but you're a team. But the adoration, you know, that sort of like, you know, I look at somebody with like starry eyes or if somebody said, are you really in love with your husband? If anybody had ever asked me that over the years that I was married, and nobody did, I don't know what I would have said. I would have said, I love him. Am I in love with him? I'm not really sure. And there were, you know, I think that you get to a point where like somebody, you know, you're living with somebody and, you know, seeing everything about them and it's like, it becomes just annoying. They start to just annoy you on every level. And that's how it felt a lot of the time. And what I don't, think I realized was that he could feel that I felt that way you yeah, know that like yeah. the way he ate something was gross to me or the chewing noise the way he slept and if he snored you know I was kicking him at night you know things like that I don't think I realized the cumulative effect it was having um you know I think I just thought that's how it was and the same thing with like the sex life you know it sort of felt like your, your sex life it wanes you know you have children and then your sex life wanes and that's just the way it goes and I accepted that and it's tricky, right? Because there's this physical polarity um, that wanes in a relationship as intimacy grows and the relationship goes on and normalcy sets in where the the strong polarity diminishes and that's part of that sexual charge, right? So it's like, it's like, it's not like any right. anyone's fault. And if you're not really paying attention, you don't have the skills and abilities and the expectation that you actually can recharge that or make adjustments or, or that this isn't, doesn't have to be the, the only path forward. It's, it's, it's not obviously not not easy. So the shocking news comes. Um, you're understandably floored and probably on the floor, um, shut down yeah. and, and broken. And then um, a shift happens. And yeah. you pick yourself up. What, what, what does that look like? So for me, I think because I, it was really the shock of my life. Um, you know, finding out. And I think there were elements of PTSD that I had when, you know, when I went to therapy where it was like, your life is coming along 
proceed steadily in one direction, and then suddenly it is, through no fault of your own, completely redirected. And the life, the stability, the safeness, the security of your life, all the things that you value about it are gone. Um, and now what? So I did spend a number of months just really reeling and um, grieving and just getting through, just getting through my days and wondering what my future was going to be. I wasn't ready right away to part with the marriage. I didn't, I, I asked my husband to leave immediately, but I wasn't ready to say, okay, this is it for us. We're getting divorced. We, we tried. We went to couple therapy, even though we weren't living together um, anymore. We went to couple therapy and we, we did um, give it a bit of an old college try to, to see if we could find our way back to each other. And I think it became quickly pretty apparent that it wasn't going to happen. And yet we still kept going because it was seismic for both of us, not just for me. I want to say that too. It was for him as well. I, I think that even though he obviously knew he wanted something different, I don't think he expected to blow up his life the way that he did and, you know, to alter his relationships with his children, et cetera. But there came a point for me and it was, it was fairly, you know, quickly, um, maybe about six months, five to six months after I found out about the affair, where I realized that I was really like, to me, I, I felt like I was living a completely compromised life that I was slowly sort of just withering away and dying. I was very angry. I was on fire with rage. And that was, first of all, a very uncom- uncomfortable feeling for me because I'm not normally an angry person. Um, and I'm, I'm usually someone who's pretty able to let things go. And just being angry was a very ugly state for me, and I could feel it. So I felt that I was being altered in all kinds of ways that made me uncomfortable, and there, I had this sort of revelation one day, like, I don't want to live like this. This is not, I cannot believe that this is the life I'm meant to have. And I cannot believe, and I will not accept that this is the person I'm now going to be, you know, at the age of 47, I guess at this point, 46, 47, that this is how it's going to be for me from now on. And so I made a really um, kind of impulsive and dramatic decision to just get myself out of the house and go out and see what the world looked like from the eyes of a single woman. And that was a complete shift for me because up until that moment that I decided to do it, I really hadn't been doing any thinking along those lines whatsoever. Um, I, I, I did in couple therapy, my husband and I had agreed that we would see other people, but that didn't, that was like a, it was me more being like, well, you had an affair. So sure, I'll see other people if I want to see other people. We should definitely date other people. Why shouldn't I? I wasn't really going to do anything about it. I mean, I had three children and they mostly were with me. Um, and, I, and I was just, you know, I was like a reduced version of my former self. So I think that the catalyst, there was just this sort of moment of recognizing, of really looking inside myself, that sort of gut instinct we have about ourselves, the intuition that we have that something is not right, I knew that the state that I was in was not right for me. And I decided to do something about it. You said, I had a vague memory of what it felt like when I had been wildly confident, when I laughed with ease, when I cared what I looked like, uh, when I had felt content, even joyful. Um, Was that sort of the impetus that you know, spurred you forward because you were super courageous, um, you know, getting all dressed up, donning a, a cute outfit and heading out on your own multiple times uh, at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I often think about it like, you know, you hear these like crazy stories of like, um, 
somebody that has to lift a car off of a child or something, you know, they find this like strength, this like superhuman strength because they have to, um, you know, in that moment. I, I often pictured myself as a Wonder Woman, um, you know, like lifting a, a car off of myself um, because I don't know what overcame me. That first night that I did, you know, kind of doll myself up and go out by myself, you know, to a bar in town, I, I don't know Exactly. I wish I could pinpoint the thing that gave me the courage to do it, because I think a lot of women have asked me, how did you do that? The one thing I can say was that I was so scared of the version of myself I was becoming. I was terrified of that person more than I was terrified of being vulnerable and going out on my own. I was so scared about who I could become if I kept going down this road of being angry, sad, bitter, Right. It's a it's a point of not this, like so much clarity that not this. So anything else, anything else. And so the only way to get anything else is to like step out the door literally and and figuratively. Right. Um, Right. But I'm thinking after I read the book, like how uncomfortable it must have felt to you to have such an undefined role after so long having its parameters so clear and so laid out and the path you know so so um spelled out step after step and I'm wondering if you were aware of that sense and the sense of like where you had been looking prior to the breakup to sort of create your sense of where you were and who you were and what that was like in that moment where that was no longer? Yeah, that's a great question because I think the answer is that I'm still struggling through that. I know that I can be anything now. I know that my roles don't um, completely describe me or that my roles in the past put me in a little bit of a box and I don't feel like I'm in that box anymore. But I still am working my way through figuring out how to shed those roles that I had and to be other roles that I am not yet or that I'm becoming. So, you know, if for most of my life, I very much was defined by being a wife and a mother. Those were my roles. Those were my most important roles. I stopped working after my second child was born. And was a stay-at-home mom, and I really threw myself into that. I was, you know, very much the PTA mom. I was very involved in my kids' lives, and I loved it. It was fun for me. I, I don't have any regrets of for that, but I do think that I lost myself in those roles. And now I'm very careful to look at the way that people define themselves, that women define themselves. And the way that women get lost in the roles, because I think, and I say women, when I say, I think it could be people, it could be men too, but I think that women are just more naturally nurturers. And so it is quite likely that we take on these roles of caring for other people and in doing so we lose ourselves. And I did that. And so now I'm very careful to look at roles as being a role, but not being who I am. It does not define me. I cannot let those things define me anymore. So the one, the one part of that, I think that's, the trickiest in terms of defining is motherhood because you can look at motherhood and say well that's a role but to me motherhood is not a role motherhood is is a is like part of my beating heart you know it is just a part of who I am so I can't separate 
ever being a mother from all the other things, being a mother, being a woman, having a, a private life, being a writer now, all of those things are just a part of who I am, but they can work together. Not any one of them has to take precedence over the other. I guess that is one thing that I'm still learning, but I'm very interested now in being outside of that box that I feel I was in for so many years. And again, when I was in it, I was in it willingly and happily. And I probably would have stayed in it that I could have. So I am, it's just quite, it's still quite shocking for me, you know, to say like, I'm not someone's wife anymore. That's still shocking to me. I, I, you know, I was a wife, uh, or I was with my husband and expected I would stay with him from the time I was 20 years old. Now I'm 50. It's not overnight that you just shed those identities and, and think of yourself in a different way. It's a process and you have to be kind of patient with yourself. So if at times I still feel sort of wifely toward him, I just understand that that's just where I am right now. And it will probably like die down over time. Maybe, right? And maybe that's your relationship with him. You know, I think we have this idea that there's one path and people are searching for their path or there's this one purpose and you know, maybe that's not the case. Maybe there are different paths and we can have different experiences on different paths. And if you would have stayed on that path, it would have been that life and it would have been happy in the ways it was happy and frustrating in the ways it was frustrating. And, and that the new path is, is the, the same and that your path is your path. Like where you are, you're on your path. You can't be anywhere else. Um, and that the right, same for relationships, true. right? And that I was yeah. thinking about that when you talk about in your most recent or, or final relationship in the book and you're at the movies and, um, it made me think of two things because you were talking about doing, you had to sort of do a dance to figure out what was next because you didn't have the intimacy and the, the knowledge, intimate knowledge of each other as to like know intuitively what the person wanted to do. And I thought, oh, that's such a tricky space because we get to that place where we just make assumptions and we're in our roles and we, we foster and support each other's known roles and, and limit each other because of it and maybe make wrong guesses as to what the other person wants to do because we we no longer mm -hmm. have the conversation. Um, so I want to talk about that. But I first want to talk about, too, something that happened with that same partner, because he hadn't wanted to one night come over and meet your youngest daughter and hang out with them. And mm -hmm. again, like a huge shock, right? But then the idea that different relationships may be fit for different times of our lives. So maybe he wasn't the right person you would have wanted to raise your kids with up to that point. Um, but then at this point in your life, when you were in a different place, it was a good fit. Yeah, that was really surprising to me, too. I guess I thought um, I had always in dating been very goal oriented. The goal was to find the man who I was going to settle down with. And that's how I approached dating, I think, for the most part. So now here I am in midlife. I've had my children. I'm not planning on having more children. And I'm dating again. But I'm not goal-oriented because I don't want to be married. I don't want to recreate what I had. I want to keep, I, I, I'm alone for the first time in my adult life. And I'm intrigued by it. And I want to preserve that. So my natural instinct um, with this man I was dating, it had been a few months that we had been dating. Um, my natural instinct was to say, okay, let's take this to the next step, which is if you come over, I've got, you know, my daughter home with her friend and you come over and come have dinner with us and hang out. And, um, you know, he recoiled from that. He didn't, you know, that was not what he wanted to do, but he was also just, I think, scared of the expectation that 
was being brought up there. Like, oh, now suddenly I'm expected to behave like a father. You know, I don't, that's not what I want. I've already got my kids. I don't want to do that. And I was so hurt um, that somebody would find that, you know, it was like, love me, love my kids. And we kept going. I mean, we sort of talked our way through it and we continued to date. And there was a part of me that thought, well, there's probably a natural ending for this relationship pretty soon because it's not going anywhere. And then over time, I realized I didn't want it to go anywhere. I liked having my life separate. I did not want him to be so involved in my kids' lives. My kids are very lucky that they have a very involved father who's present in their lives. I'm not trusting to replace him or supplement him even. You know, I don't need to have that. And I realized that my time with this man was so special because it was just me and him. And we could do things together, you know, go to the beach or go out, you know, go walking through interesting neighborhoods or do whatever we wanted to do and just be without being beholden to our children because we could do that when we weren't with our children. And then when I was with my children, I could just be with my children and I love being with them. So why not? And I think that now we've been dating, it's been about two and a half years that we've been together and we've pretty much established a sort of, you know, routine where we see each other on the weekends when, when, um, my older kids are teenagers, so they sort of come and go and do their own thing now. But the youngest one is 10. And when she's with her dad, I'm with him. And he's met my kids, and he likes them, and he's really nice to them. But he's not so involved in our family life, and I like it that way. We have our own private life, and then I have my life with my family. And I don't see it as, like, two separate lives. They're just, you know, they're, they're two they're Two facets, kind of right? They're two facets of two your facets. life. Yeah. Yeah. And it works well for me to have it divided that way because it keeps my life with him interesting and new because we're not in a rhythm. In fact, he he makes fun of me because I think one day he suggested that we do something. I can't remember what it was. And I said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. That would be so routinized. I don't want to develop routines with you like that. Like, I don't want to be like an old married couple with you. I, I don't want that ever again with anybody. I always want to be like fresh and interesting and like, you know, to be excited when you walk through the door because I haven't seen you in five days or whatever. And so he still uses that against me. Like, well, if I give you a key to my apartment, it's not a little too routinized for you. Uh, um, you know, <laughs> um, or, you know, yeah. having certain things in the fridge for you. Is that, is that too much of a routine for you? And I'm like, well, I kind of like having my things in the fridge and my keys. So that would be okay. But anything else, hmm, I got to think about it. So, yeah, I think I, I definitely, I think there is something really nice about being intimate enough with somebody that you understand implicitly what they want and don't want. But to go back to something that you said that really struck me, um, it, it is true that we create limitations in doing that because we start to become the people that we are supposed to be. And so if in my role, I'm the nurturer and I'm the one who is, um, you know, wants to go to bed early or wants to say no to plans, well, now that's my role. I'm probably just going to keep doing it even more so. I'm going to become more and more in that role because it's what's expected of me. And I think that we limit each other and ourselves very drastically when we do that. Esther Perel talks a lot about the paradoxical relationship between domesticity and sexual desire. And so I want to talk about um, now for a little bit, the, the sexual journey um, that you mm-hmm. embarked on and how your relationship to and your experience of sex changed during that. So first of all, I love um, 
her as a pearl. Um, I've read both of, I've read her book, Made in Captivity yeah. and The State of Affairs. And I think that she's, she just says things that other people aren't willing to say. Yeah. And I think makes it very normal. She normalizes sexual desire. And she normalizes sexual desire outside of your marriage. And the um, idea... And that, that's not to say that she... No, no, go go ahead. ahead. No, because I was just going to say in the idea of what you just were saying, that you now have an expectation that that you want to have novelty and excitement and sexual desire and anticipation and all of the things that I think that a lot of people, and obviously not everyone, but a lot of people would say if they were being honest with themselves and, and acknowledging that there was the possibility to have that, would want to have that in their sex lives and their relationships. Yeah, and how do you do that after so many years of neglecting it? You know, I think in my case, it was like I'm with this man since I'm 20 years old, so I barely know myself. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've had limited sexual experiences. He's the third person I've had sex with, so I really haven't had a ton of experience to know what I like and what I don't like. And I'm pretty set in my ways. And, you know, over time, I became more and more set in my ways, especially as we had kids and then, you know, my body wasn't quite what it used to be in the sense of it was tired. <laughs> you know, my body was just tired. Um, you know, and there were kids in and out of the bed all the time. And um, so that was, you know, an issue. And I think I, I, I felt this, I didn't feel sexual in my relationship with my husband anymore. I felt like a mother to everyone. And often he felt like my fourth child. We, we would say that a lot. I, I would always say to him, I don't actually want to be your mother. I want to be your wife. You know, I don't want you to, I don't want to have to treat you like one of my kids. And I think that really over the years, I did a huge amount of damage because I, I saw him as someone I had to take care of. And it's hard to do that and then turn it on sexually. And I, I didn't try I wasn't thinking about it. Again, when, when you asked me in the beginning of the episode about, um, you know, were you aware? I was not aware. And I wasn't aware of how these things were having a cumulative effect to say, I don't feel like a sexual creature anymore. I'm not presenting myself very sexually. I don't remember putting on like beautiful lingerie or buying nice lingerie. If I did, frankly, it was for myself. You know, it was because I saw a bra that I thought was really pretty or something. I wasn't thinking, oh, my husband is going to love this. I just thought, oh, I'll feel so pretty in this or, you know, this is really flattering. I, I really wasn't thinking anymore about that. I sort of felt like it was sort of beside the point. And so... And, and wouldn't it night. kind of have been an aberration if you had, right, in our culture and I, our society and the dictates that women get? I mean, that's hopefully changing now for the, the, this generation of, of girls and women. But that, oh, you know, you are now, once you're married and you're a mom, you shouldn't, aren't expected to and should not have a sexual um, existence. And that's especially right. the older you get. Yeah, I think that all the time it it blows my mind to think, well, I think back to how I viewed sex in my life in my 20s, you know, in my late teens when I started having sex for the first time and then in my 20s before I had children. We had a lot of sex. We had good sex, my husband and I. So we did have a satisfying sex life. It's not like we were a couple that never had it. We did. Um, then we had children. Now, and, and our 30s were spent, you know, running around after young kids and building a business and, you know, moving from one home to another and establishing our lives and our friends and our you know, it was exhausting. And so I think in our 30s and then into our 40s, it was really about sex 
sustaining, it was like a mandate. You know, you know you have to have it because you're married and that's what people do. Um, and I didn't have a drive at all. So I could have gone weeks without having sex. And um, my husband couldn't. So I felt like it was like my duty, you know, like I had to have sex with him. It was like really for me about like how much can I put in at a bare minimum and still sustain this relationship. And I know that women hearing this might recoil or men hearing it might really recoil at that and feel that it's, it sounds sort of selfish or sad. And in hindsight, I mean, I was tired and also we've been having sex for a really long time and my heart just wasn't in it anymore. So it was a little bit sad, but I didn't know it. I just thought, this is how it goes. You know, I've given birth, I've nursed three babies, my breasts are saggier than they used to be. My body is, you know, my stomach is creeping a little. I've got some new wrinkles. My hair is turning gray. Now at the age of 50, I see all those things as like badges of honor. I do. I see my body and the way it's changed. And I think my body is really strong and I'm really impressed by what it can do. I think it's really amazing. I, I, I love what it can do, but I didn't appreciate it. I saw it as depreciating in value over the course of my marriage, whereas now I see it appreciating. Um, so that, that's one thing about, about sexuality. Um, but I think when I did finally have sex again for the first time outside of my marriage, it was shocking to me that sex could be so thrilling, that it could be so exciting and feel so good physically and emotionally, and that I could feel so connected with somebody and then walk away from him and never see him again. And that was okay. It was like having sex for the first time again. It was like being 18, 17 years old and having sex for the very first time. That was the kind of thrill I felt. But it was better because it didn't hurt anymore, like I said when I was a teenager. I wasn't afraid of being caught by my parents. I wasn't afraid of getting pregnant. So it was better because I was free to do anything I wanted. So it was like being 18, you know, and I had the confidence. So I would say it was like this really amazing eye-opener for me because it was not only was it great, it was better than ever. And you realized, you talk about it quite a bit in the, the later part of the book, that you realized all your ideas of the type of person you were um, and your your sexuality, either they completely changed or you'd been completely wrong. Um, that actually right. you were a very physical, demonstrative person who wanted to touch mm-hmm. and be touched and enjoyed sex very much. Yeah. And I was wrong. I think it was more just that I had been completely wrong and I'd been really misguided. Um, I think, you know, for example, um, my husband is, is so affectionate. He's such a hugger. And I came from a family of people that weren't. And I remember the very first time he came to our house, it's sort of a legend in my family when he came to my house to pick me up um, for a date when we were home from school for, this, for the winter holiday. And we were 20 years old. And um, I had said to him in advance, don't hug my family. We're not huggers. Like, please don't hug my mother. And he was like, he sort of thought that was funny. And then when we left, he hugged them all. And I felt a sinking feeling like, oh my God, they're going to think he's so weird. And you know what they did? <laughs> because he just hugged everybody. And so I think over the years, I sort of said, oh, I'm not an affectionate person. I'm not a hugger. I don't need physical affection. And I kind of recoiled from him. And I don't know if that's because I just wasn't attracted to him anymore. 
or if it was because I wasn't attracted to myself anymore when I was with him, or whether I was just saving it all for my children. You know, I, I can't, it's impossible for me to parse that out. All I know is that I didn't, you know, even with my friends, if they, they knew I wasn't a hugger. And now I am. I love giving my friends like big, long hugs. I love squeezing them tight and feeling like the energy between us. I never had, I'm talking about non-sexual affection now um, that I have a need for, that I didn't have a need for all my years. And even with my children, I think I'm probably more affectionate than I used to be, even though I was affectionate and I think it's more so. That's one component, right, being physical is that non-sexual affection. And then the sexual side is that I really need to be sexually fulfilled now. And that's a huge part of my life and identity that I'm now I really am careful to say if I'm with somebody, the sex has to be good. And by good, I mean it has to be fulfilling in whatever way that it means for me. And it has to be fulfilling for both of us so that it's something that we like doing and that it's a big part of our relationship because I'm not going to let that go again. I, I was going to ask you how the opening to your sexuality opened other areas of your life and, and loosened up other things. And, and as you were talking, I was thinking about this idea of intimacy blocks and that when we are coming from a place of control and protection um, and there's a, a barrier sort of a genuine relating um, to ourselves and then to others because we are, you know, as you said, you're a rule follower, you are a doer, you are a pleaser. So all of those natural um, aspects of your personality are going to lead you to control and protect and, and figure out right. and fix. And that that then gets in the way of this genuine relating to self, right? And causes this block of of um, having intimacy with, your, with yourself and then with others. So like, it's like you came around it from the other side by opening up sexually to all of these new people because, you know, and, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that was like, um, just going out once you got online and going out with new people over and over and, and having these sexual experiences that that then allowed you to come around the backside of of having then genuine relationship with yourself and then these other people in your lives yes that's very true and it is kind of interesting I think in many ways it was like saying well when I was looking when I was doing as I said the more goal-oriented dating it was okay I have to date somebody with whom I can imagine a future and who's going to want to have kids with me and who's going to want to have sort of a lifestyle I want to have so what happens when you don't want that anymore and you don't need that? You could just be with somebody that you just enjoy being with and that the goal is that you enjoy being with them. There's no long-term plan. So for me, as somebody who is such a planner, you know, I'm, I'm, my, 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 my kids' summers are scheduled. You know, I've got the, every, the, the date, as soon as the school calendar is released for the year, I've got every holiday, you know, in my, booked into my calendar so I know the days off and I know the weeks off for vacation. So how do you go from being that person to somebody who's just willing to live in the moment and to say, you can be a planner, you can know what your schedule is, but you don't necessarily know what your future is going to hold. And so that for me was a huge transition to being able to say, I can be with a person for today and enjoy being with that person without worrying what this is going to be tomorrow. And so if the person doesn't have to be perfect for me, they just have to be somebody I enjoy being with. It doesn't have to be necessarily well-read just because that's something that's important to me or well-traveled or, you know, live a certain lifestyle. They just have to be someone I want to be with today. So I let go of the need 
to plan for the future in that way. And I learned how to really embrace being present. And it allowed me to go on dates with people and just enjoy going on dates and satisfying my own curiosity to see what new people tick. So the online dating, I mean, it's not great. It's not, I didn't have the time of my life doing online dating. I found it pretty amusing um, because I couldn't believe how often the conversation veered from something that felt totally like, oh, what's your favorite book? And, you know, um, do you like going to the beach to like, can I go down on you for hours at a time? And it was like, wait, what? I thought we were just talking about, you know, the novel that I was reading. Like, how did we get here so fast? And I think that there was, I, I talked about, my, about myself as being a, a certain kind of naivete, I think, where it, it happens to me all the time. Every time a man would sort of like take the conversation and steer it towards something very sexual very quickly, I constantly feel like, what? What just happened? We were just, we were just somewhere else. Um, and so that for me was a little bit hard because I think when you're online, there's no accountability. It's a little different if you're with someone in person. You can kind of read the room a little bit more. And if you're set up on a date with somebody from a friend, if you're set up on a blind date or you know somebody and they ask you on a date, there's still a certain level of accountability. In, in online dating, it's like you're just in this sort of void where you aren't accountable to anybody mutually. So that you, you really could just say or do anything you want. So I didn't mind it because I, I liked just seeing what kinds of people were out there and what made people tick. And I think I treated all of dating as a little bit of um, like a sociological experiment in my own mind. Because I would think, well, I'm not looking for a husband. Um, I don't have a lot of time, you know, to dedicate to another person to put into a relationship. I don't particularly want to be monogamous. So I can just use this as sort of a fact-finding mission to see what kinds of people are in the world, what their relationships have been like, what they want, what makes them tick. And that's, that's what I did. And so I met men that were, you know, really fun, really sexy, you know, really controlling. I'd never been with a person before who was controlling. That was really weird, like a very possessive man. Um, I'd never been with somebody like that before. So moving through, you know, all different kinds of men, like some men who were younger, some men who were older, some men with whom I had great conversations, other men with whom I had nice conversations, but great sex, you know. And then I understood that they were all they were all worthwhile and because I wasn't looking for something more, there was no sense of failure. If it didn't become something more, it was like, okay, well, that was a stepping stone. And that's not to say, I just want to clarify one thing. That's not to say I didn't often feel a lack of confidence or anxiety over what something would be. I often felt that way. And I think I, I write that in the book that there were times where I was with people where I would suggest that we get together again. And they'd be like, whoa, 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 you know, you're moving too fast. Or, you know, where I, like I was often confused um, about what I wanted and about what they wanted and what the signals were. So it wasn't like it was all smooth sailing and all fun and games. I, I had feelings for people and sometimes those feelings were reciprocated and sometimes they weren't. So that could still feel like a letdown while also saying, you know, okay, well, I got something from it, and now it's time to move on to the next thing. Was it surprising to you, the flip side of that, how much you valued and, and um, enjoyed the incredible freedom and the excitement of not knowing what comes next? Beyond. That was, like, it's still shocking to me. It's, it was, I never, I mean, as somebody that just lived a very sort of prescribed life and liked it that way, I could not believe how much I, curiosity I had 
about the way things could be and about the way that I could be with different people. Like I was still true to myself. You know, I, I was always honest um, with the men that I was with. I was very honest about where I was in my own life and relationships and about my need to be free with people that I was in this very young stage of, you know, singlehood and that I wanted to be very, um, you know, non-monogamous and free. So I, I made it really clear because I was terrified that I would give the wrong signal to somebody and they would think that I was, you know, they were dating me and I was really dating five different people. So I, I was very honest with people. So I felt, I never felt that I was compromising myself or selling myself out. I felt that I was able to stay true to myself while also just experiencing other people. And I became very bold because I started to realize, I started, I think I, I began to view sex as something that like everybody has it. We don't talk enough about it. And I want to understand it better. I want to understand what a man finds sexy and what a man doesn't find sexy. I want to know why men seem to love going down on women so much. I just want to understand it. And so I asked questions of the men I was with. I would just ask really like, hey, can I ask you a question? Why, why is this such a turn on for you? Like not criticizing you, just curious, just curious to know. And um, I still maintain that curiosity. You know, even, even being two years plus with the person that I've, I've been with, um, and I still remain open to being with other people. And I still remain curious when I'm with him why he likes something or doesn't like what, what he finds, you know, what he finds to be a turn on or a turn off in me and in other people. I, I'm still, I'm very open. I feel like it's, there's so much to learn and I'm like at the tip of the iceberg. And that I find so exciting because I never would have thought at 50 years old, I'd be at the bottom of a learning curve about sex and sexuality. And let's talk about that a little bit in, in the last part of the show, the intimacy and the personal freedom, because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, okay, the the idea that I'm someone who, you know, you said, I'm someone who, as soon as the school calendar comes out, like I, and, and we know who that is, right? Yeah. Who, who I'm not yeah. it, I'm, and, and oftentimes which I wear, but that, you know, gets the calendar and puts it on, and they're so organized and everything's planned and... Um, and, and you clearly are that we know from just our exchange last evening, like, you know, you're on top of it. You want the, want the details organized and you want it planned out. Um, but you are not just someone who, and you aren't always someone who, and in different situations, mm-hmm. you absolutely are not someone who, mm-hmm. um, and, mm-hmm. and what that journey has been like, and those awarenesses that, um, you do not have to be defined by either innate characteristics or assigned characteristics or learned characteristics or characteristics that show themselves in certain arenas. Well, what I love about that is that you, once you free yourself, you also start to look at everybody around you a little differently too. I understand now when I look at people, whether they're people that are very close to me or total strangers, that there's so much I don't know about them and can't know about them. That whatever assumptions I'm making based on the clothes they're wearing or their hairstyle or, you know, their jobs, it's actually completely only one little part of the story. And I love that. I think it makes life so much more interesting because everyone I meet now, truly, I think I try really hard to remain judgment-free, understanding that they have an inner life and, you know, thoughts that I'm not privy to. So it, I can't judge it. They have to live, everybody has to live with themselves at the end of the day and be able to sleep at night and, and figure out, as I said, about remaining true to yourself. That's a very important thing for me to do with myself. 
And I assume that that is for a lot of people that they do the best they can. I give people the benefit of the doubt. And when people are really, you know, angry or not very kind or they're very judgmental, I just take it as, you know, indication of their own like limited experiences or limited understandings of themselves or that they haven't arrived yet at the place of saying, wait, what does this mean? What does it mean that I'm so angry all the time? What does it mean that I'm always, you know, yelling at people like when I'm driving? What does it mean that I'm like, uh, you know, somebody who's like yelling at people behind the, from the comfort of my car? Or if I'm an online troller, what does it mean that I feel that I can be so hostile to people online? Um, anyway, that's a little tangent. But I think no, it's being... not a tangent at all. Because I think I, I no, I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking it's oh, the okay. core. It's okay. the core because I was thinking about one of the questions I had was what was the most challenging part of the dance between old life and new. And as you were talking, I was thinking about you know that one element of that because I know the hard part of the dance was between the kids and the family and and being yeah. a mother and and then this new life. And um, I was thinking as you were talking that that one of the biggest pressures is that kids want us to be the defined version and their vision of ourselves. They don't want um, to not know what's coming next or to be surprised or um, or or for it to be different, right? That that is a huge pressure yeah. during a marriage, but also even after. They don't want that and and yet um, the freedom to expand into a new version of yourself and to have that opening where you aren't bound by another's vision and, and the knowing, even your own knowing of yourselves and the narratives that you've heaped upon yourself as to who you are and what you should do and, and how you should be and feel and, and what kind of person you are. So no, I think it's, I think it's absolutely the core of, of your journey and the conversation. And so how has it been different in this relationship you've been in for the last couple of years where you do experience uh, more of that freedom and you're allowing yourself more of that freedom to go beyond um, your vision or, or narrative and someone else's? I mean, it's, it's still, it continues to be really freeing because I know that I'm not tethered to it. So it's every, every time I'm with him, it's a choice for me to be with him. And that is very empowering because I don't have to stay in it. There's no upside in the sense of I'm not financially dependent on him. Um, I mean, I'm probably somewhat emotionally dependent on him to, to, to some degree at this point because we have, you know, we are very intimate with each other. Um, and I do appreciate the advice he gives me. And he listens really clearly to me and really thinks about things for me. And I try to do the same for him. But I'm not wedded to him you know literally I'm not wedded to him so if at any point I thought this isn't doing it for me anymore I always have the option not to be there even one weekend if I thought I don't really want to see him this weekend I really just want to like stay in with a girlfriend or I want to just be home with my kids or I just I'm just not feeling it this weekend I don't have to be actively engaged in a relationship I don't want to be in and my, my biggest fear at this point is, you know, being in something long-term that now I have to make work. So a lot of people have said to me, when I tell people that I don't want to get married, people really want me to be married again. Um, you know, people in my family and, and friends, they, they were very invested in my being with somebody. And I understand why. I think we all like to feel the people that we love are being taken care of and are comfortable and are, you know, and have the 
goal met. And I think a lot of times, you know, you read these narratives of women who've been divorced and it's like, well, then guess what? I met the love of my life and we've been married now for 10 years. And so everything works out. And that's not the story I want for myself. The story I want for myself is I lost the love of my life and I'm finding out who I am and I'm rebuilding myself and I'm always going to come first now along with my kids. My kids are always going to come first along with me. Um, that's very important to me. But I'm not, I'm not wedded to anybody in the sense of I'm not beholden to their vision of me, to their needs of me, and, and even sexually. I mean, I, I'm very open about this in the book, that the, the man that I've been with for two plus years, I've said to him before, if I want to speak to somebody else, I will. And if that's not comfortable for you or not something that you can live with, that, um, that'll be sad. Like, we'll, we'll have to part ways. Because that's not something I'm willing to give up. Uh, I'm, I, and you don't have to be comfortable with it. Uh, you can choose not to be in this relationship, right? Like he's divorced, and it's a choice for him, too. It's the kind of life that he wants to have going forward. And I feel bad sometimes. He has more free time than I do because he doesn't have children living at home with him anymore. And so maybe he, maybe he wants to be with somebody who can live with him and can be with him seven nights a week. It's never going to be me. So that's a choice he makes in being with me. But that's that what I love is that we both have to actively make a choice all the time. It makes us accountable. And it also means that we're always putting energy in a positive way into our relationship. And it keeps it really special and fulfilling. So a lot of times people say to me, now, you say now that you don't want to be married or live with somebody, that'll change. And if there's anything that has the power to still make me so angry that steam actually comes out of my ears, it is that statement. I hate it when people think that they can tell me that I want something that I don't want. And, and, because... and the only answer would be maybe, you know, you don't now, and it's right. sort of irrelevant. Who right. knows? Maybe, maybe. Right. I don't know. You right. don't know. And we by don't the way, know. like, it's not like that. I didn't sign a contract saying I can't. So if I decide yeah. I want it, I'll just get it. And that's the key, I think, what you just said about that in your relationship. You're constantly forced to be uh, engaged and aware and responsible and honest and choosing and aware that you are choosing, Um, conscious, conscious of that, that you're making choices Mm -hmm. upon choices and that it might shift. And I think the other thing you were making me think about was the idea that maybe one of the problems is that our our definition of intimacy and our ideas about intimacy aren't quite right. That this sense mm-hmm. of the safe and secure and the cozy and the predictable, that, oh, we need that to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, which we need to have intimacy. And that then intimacy is being known, where that's mm-hmm. not exactly right. The intimacy is in the knowing in the moment, right? What you said before about being heard, being listened to, being seen in that moment, which is different than being known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ellie, that's so interesting. That's, that's very powerful, I think. I never really thought about it that way. Um, but I agree. I think that there is, I think that people also feel that you are intimate with somebody, you are safe with them because you are committed. And I think that there's, there are a couple of words. Like you're, you just explored the word intimacy. And I think another word that I would want to explore along with that would be the word committed. What does it mean to be committed to somebody? Um, and what does it mean, what is the commitment you have to yourself and to your family and to whoever it is that you're in a relationship with? And um, 
I think that society gets that wrong a lot of the times too, because the idea is that you made a commitment and now you stick it out. So if your commitment was to get married, you stay married. And if you're, if, if, you know, I committed to being, having a family and having children and I committed to those children to provide them with a loving, stable household. And that is now what I will do. Well, it turned out not to be my choice. Right? I mean, my husband made a, a, a dramatic move and we, I couldn't make that happen anymore. And so I felt very terrible that I took away something from my children that I had given to them. I gave them this promise of a family and of a committed family that I then took away from them. And it was sickening to me. That was the most devastating part of it all. Except that turned out not to be true, right? You have a committed family. You used a word, and now I wish I would have written it down, but I didn't. But like a reorganized or a re-something like it was really good. Yes. And I I don't feel that way anymore. I feel that now actually I've given my kids the incredible role model to say, uh, guess what? If something's not working for you, change your direction. And and it, it might be really painful. It was very painful for our family. But I think now everybody understands that you're committed to something until you're not anymore. And that is okay. It's okay to change course. It doesn't mean, you know, my daughter just quit her first job. It was a very demanding job and she was miserable. And she is not a quitter. She is really somebody who once she sinks her teeth in, she's in it 100%. She's very much my kid that way. And she, I encouraged her to quit the job and she, she finally did. And she said, now I feel terrible. I feel like such a failure. I feel like a quitter. And I think you're the opposite. Yeah, you absolutely. just taught yourself something, which is that you did something and you didn't like it. And you realize that you could preserve yourself to do something else that would be better for you and ultimately better for all the people around you. So you learned that self-preservation is as important as sticking with something that makes you miserable. So and and to look beyond that as to what are you committed to, because you're absolutely still committed to a family and providing your kids all of the the elements of that commitment, it just looks in a different way. And we can't, we can't, she can't know if she likes a job until she tries it. You know, we have this idea we should know. Right. Um, and, and then she we might change, the job end. might change. That's, that's the constant, right? Is this change? And the, and the, the, co- well, the, and I think it's, oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's very freeing to be wrong sometimes. It's very freeing to say, I thought I was going to love that job, but I don't. I thought I was going to love that person, but I don't. I thought I was going to love living in that city, and I don't. And it's okay. It's so liberating to just say, all right, so I don't, and what's next? Yeah, and that I am committed, right? That piece, this is what yeah. I'm committed to. That That's clear for you and for your daughter and, and for everyone. Um, if, if we pay attention and we're conscious, okay, one last word I want to talk about, and we'll go a little bit over, but that's okay, is available. Because I was thinking about that, mm-hmm. and I was thinking available is for someone else um, or for something else, mm-hmm. available in a way. But then I, I was thinking the opposite or the other side of that is, did you become more dependable to yourself? And that goes right along with what we've just been talking about uh, as the most important commitment um, to yourself mm-hmm. and honoring yeah, what's true. Yeah, I think true. I did. Yes, I think that there is a level of authenticity to my life now that I am uh, building that wasn't in existence before. Because if I had thought about what is driving me and what I wanted out of this life, 
Um, I don't think that I was being really true to myself in many, many ways. I think I was being true to certain aspects of myself and completely neglecting other aspects. And I think it's very easy to do that over time as you increase your commitments to, you know, children or a spouse or a lifestyle that you've created. So I think that now the idea that I'm available to myself and I know that I have to count in this. So it is always going to be very important to me that my children feel safe and secure and loved and that they come first. But I have to count too now. And because I can't be there for them the way I want to be, if I can't be there for myself the way I want to be. I also can't be there as a role model for them to say, live, you know, every day, take care of yourself. Think about what is, feels good for you. I'm still a nurturer. I still take care of a, a lot of people Um, sometimes to the detriment of myself. But I have more of a sense, even when I'm doing it, that I need to kind of figure out what I can do differently. And writing the book was a huge part of that. I mean, if for 20 years I told people I was a stay-at-home mom, I'm learning how now to say, well, I'm also a writer now without, like, having to, like, blush or, like, feel like I just said something that was a lie. You know, so I'm, I'm learning how to really embrace all the aspects of myself I never really thought about that word available the way that you just put it, which is interesting about being available to other people. What I'd say is that I'm available to life. I'm available to new experiences. I'm available to, you know, live live in, in the manner that I want to without having to decide what society says is the right thing for me at this age in my life, at this age and stage of my life. Um, what other people think is the right thing for a mother to do. I, a lot of people don't think it's the right thing for a mother to write a book about her sex life as intimately as I've done. I thought the same thing when I first did it. I thought this is not what a good mother does. Well, I don't really care anymore what people think. I know I'm a good mother. So so I guess um, it turns out they I do. Three... I guess it turns out a good mother does do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a good mother does what she feels is fulfilling as a human being. And in doing so, can continue to be a good mother, right? It's cyclical. And I remember once, um, it's just kind of funny, I had a big, my oldest daughter, she's 21 now, and, um, and she and I were very alike in a lot of ways. And she was also the person that was the most aware of everything that was happening, you know, as my marriage was falling apart. And she was really upset with me. She, she wasn't excited for me to write this book at all. Um, and she was upset with me. And I said, you know what? I'm human. And you need to accept that I'm human. You need to be able to see me as a human being who has needs and wants and makes mistakes. And she said, well, that's exactly the problem now, Mom. You're too human. I don't, I don't want to see this. And I said, so you want me just to be the perfect mother. You don't want me to be a human being. And she said, that's right. And I thought, okay, I gotcha. I, I don't, I'm sure I feel the same way about my own mother. Yeah. But guess what? That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is really hard. It's really painful sometimes to both of us. It's also really deeply authentic and is allowing us to have an incredibly close, meaningful relationship. That doesn't mean it's all sunshine and roses. I mean, sometimes we're going to butt heads. But at the end of the day, we have to respect that we are both human beings with our own private needs, desires, and wants that we cannot find just in, in each other. And that's okay. And I embrace that for her as she goes forward. I'm so excited for her, you know, that she's a young woman who already knows this for herself. The life that she can have for herself going forward and the self-awareness she has, it blows my mind that she's already privy to that at 21, what I'm just figuring out at 50. So, 
And what um, a great gift yeah. that is, that you can be in relationship and you can want different things and that that can be okay. Yeah, it's such a gift. I mean, I see my relationships with all of my kids as gifts. And when I say I'm a great mom, the reason I say that is because I have really good relationships with my kids and I find them all to be remarkable human beings. So I feel like my that's if I'm using that as my measuring stick of a job well done, I'll I'll take it. And I haven't it turns out that I didn't damage them by writing this book and by talking very openly about my sex life. It turns out that it might be uncomfortable for them. It doesn't mean it's bad for them. It's just uncomfortable. And we grow from discomfort, right? That's where the that's where the growth takes place. You don't get to just like snooze and grow. You you gotta go to some places that are gonna make you feel, you know, challenged. And I think that we've all done that as a family. And we've all come out better for it. It's not over. We don't know where it's going. Yeah, right? You've I, got to wade through the river to get to the other side. I got to say, I don't think we need to seek out discomfort to grow. And as you've experienced, you no, grew no, through no. some wonderful, exciting, fun and fabulous experiences. So you took the better road. Yeah. So, Laura, thank you so much. I've been speaking with Laura Friedman-Williams about her new book, Available, A Memoir of Sex and Dating After a Marriage Ends. It was absolutely wonderful to talk with you, and I, I'm so grateful you you uh, joined me on the show. Thank you, Ellie. It's been such an eye-opening conversation for me, so I really appreciate having had the time to do this with you. Okay, Laura, thank you so much. Wonderful, wonderful reading your oh, book and wonderful great. talking with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed that talk. Thank you, you gave. I'm actually looking forward to listening to it because I think there were a lot of things I thought of that I hadn't thought of before. Oh, good. <laughs> that you brought up. Good, good. You know, ways that things that you, which is always so fascinating to me because there are some conversations I have with people where it feels just like I'm sort of recounting parts of the book and then yeah. others that really like make me think. 